All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is Robert Sykes, and I've got a special guest today for the podcast. It's been a while since I've had a podcast episode out, so forgive me for that, but this is going to be a good one. I got uh, my good buddy David Frazier on the line here, and uh, David is a master blacksmith. He's been doing the keto diet for, what, about a year now? A little over a year. A little over a year. So we're just going to jump right on in here. So Dave, tell us a little about yourself. What uh, what do you do? Uh, well, basically, um, I work in large homes that are several million dollars and up, and uh, I build specialty grand balustrade staircases. I also do specialty uh, entrance doors and general ironwork handrails, uh, things of that nature. Also, some sculptural work. And real quick, I kind of wanted to introduce that topic a little bit. Um, normally on here, I've got like you know other competitors, other bodybuilders, performance athletes. David's like, you know, he's not an everyday guy. I mean, he's got a pretty unique lifestyle, but he doesn't have a competition he's training for. So his you know motives for the keto diet and just health and well-being in general are just that you know a lifestyle, you know, living a healthy lifestyle. So I feel like. His conversation will resonate well with a lot of other listeners that are just doing this for, you know, uh, well-being. So that said, tell us a little bit about uh, your, like, diet pre-keto and post-keto and kind of like what got you motivated to jump on that in the first place. I think, uh, well, first of all, we've known each other for how long? Uh, we used to be neighbors, and now we're neighbors again. Yeah. So it's probably been like 10 years at least. It's probably over 10 years because you met me uh, when I was first out of college. and Really? Co- yeah. Yeah, I was first out of college, and that's whenever I was at my shop. And uh, man, that was in 2002. So you probably met me first in 2003, 2004. And coming right off of college, um, yeah, I worked out a lot. I had a, a roommate that was a bodybuilder. Um, so I was really into that, and I was in fairly decent shape. But then running a small business and all the stress that comes along with it and eating lunch and dinner inside a truck um, while you're on a job site or in between job sites, um, I slowly just sort of got out of shape and went back and forth between working out pretty regularly and not at all. And I guess it was about, what was it, a year and a half ago, two years ago, you came over when we uh, had just bought our house up in uh, where we live now. Yeah. And uh, you were telling me about this diet, and you were staying with us for like a week, weren't you? Yeah, stay with you for a week because we were doing, you know, iron yeah. work. I was helping you out in the shop, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you told me about it, and uh, I just thought, okay, well, I'll just jump in. And so I started eating the exact same thing you were eating, like, from day one. While I was there, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't even a planned thing. It was just like a, okay, why not? Do you remember what your stats were, like, what your weight, like, what are your stats now? Like, how, or actually, what, how tall are you now? Uh, I'm... F- I guess I'm 5'10 or 5'11, depending on uh, where you measure me. 
<laughs> I know the, the last physical I got, I was 5'11", and I was like, well, that's optimistic. I'm more like 5'10", but she was like, well, that's what it says. So 5'10", and what was the heaviest you ever been? Uh, the heaviest I'd ever been would be about 240. 240? And yeah. you have any idea what body fat percentage you were at that point? No, I, I honestly don't know that. That was a fluffy Dave, though, right? Yeah, it was, it was more of me to love. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Was that like right before you got on the keto diet or did you slim down a little bit before jumping on? I had lost uh, a little bit of weight just because especially in the summer, uh, it's you sweat so much. Uh, it's really uncomfortable if you're carrying extra weight or extra body fat. So I'd probably gotten down to around 230, um, which I, I look like a pretty normal guy at 230 or 220. You know, like a guy that used to work out but doesn't anymore. Um, and I did okay uh, like that. But I decided that I'd like to get down more to around 200. Because at 200, I can work all day. I can um, – a lot of what I do involves kneeling on the ground or crawling over things, getting up and down, uh, carrying equipment up and down stairs, flights of stairs. So um, I'm a lot happier at 200. And also, it's easier on my back. I was having some problems with my back. It wasn't healing properly. I had injured it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. So, I started at, at basically about 2.30 and uh, just mirrored what you did. Then after you left, I kind of asked for advice on a few different things to eat. And I think I just ate that for almost three or four months before I even branched out and looked for other things to eat. Yeah, you were really strict with it. Yeah, but... You know, back in college, I, I would do the whole boiled chicken breast with mustard for three months straight and nothing else. The bro so, diet. Yeah. And so I was okay with, with a really strict diet. That didn't bother me. Um, it's actually easier for me, um, you know, if I know exactly what I'm going to eat. But uh, And then, so you started that with me for the seven days that I was there. Yeah. And you kept it pretty strict for another three months or so. What did your weight do in that time? It's, I don't remember exactly, but I think in the first uh, month or so, you could definitely tell that I had lost a lot of weight, especially in my face and my jawline, because it seemed like what had been like two or three weeks since we had really talked or anything. We were on Skype and we were talking about business stuff. Yeah. And you stopped me while I was talking and you said that I looked a lot different. Yeah. Um, probably just because I wasn't carrying so much uh, water weight or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, after probably four or five months, I was definitely down to 200 and, um, yeah, I kind of continued to change my, my weight didn't go down, but the shape of my body changed, um, the, the few months after that. And, uh, this last time I've seen you, you look leaner, but your weight, I don't think's changed, but no. you look leaner now than yeah. you did the time before. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been going to the gym on a somewhat regular basis. Not at all like you, but, um, the nature of my work is that, especially when I'm working with heavy things, uh, you get a pretty good workout. So my muscle mass probably gone up some, I yeah. think I lost a little bit of muscle when I first did the keto diet, but I don't think I was really doing it right. 
You know what I mean? I didn't take a super scientific approach. I didn't have you um, doing all of my macros and all of those things. Yeah, I'd I come over sort of, and all you would eat is like a block of cheese. <laughs> yeah, well, sour cream or what? I mean, you know, I was just sort of. I don't. I don't know if you'd call it winging it, but I was definitely not taking a scientific approach to it. I yeah. just. I, I had the basics, you know. And that was during the summer. Yeah. That we did that, right? Yeah. That's that's pretty. Uh, I don't think like these people like let let the audience kind of realize what it is you do exactly from a day to day basis from a work perspective because I mean you work with your hands you're like a a master craftsman and you're I mean some of the stuff you're moving and picking up like you're not spending that much time at the gym per se but I mean you're outside heat index of 110 mm-hmm. you know yeah in full blown welding equipment. Yeah, people make fun of me because I wear all black. It's usually black car hearts, black long sleeve shirts, boots, all of those things. It it's not uh, a fashion statement. It's just a matter of there's there's uh, packing grease or oil that's on new steel, and it stains everything you own. So I just decided to go ahead and wear black everything so it wouldn't show the stains, and that's kind of become my trademark. But on a hot day, when you're wearing all black. Uh, especially if you're going to weld, depending on the type of weld, you have to turn your fans off uh, so you won't lose your shielding gas. So uh, inside the shop, if I'm welding, it can be 120. Uh, not to mention that whatever you're welding on is gradually going to come up uh, to temperature. So you might be leaning over uh, something that's already up to three or 400 degrees. So it's a very, very hot environment. If I'm forging and my forge is running, the inside of the shop can be 220 or 230. Um, I could easily sweat out five or six pounds in a day. Um, so it is it is really demanding. And depending on what I'm working on, I might move anywhere from 500 pounds to three or 4,000 pounds worth of steel from one location to another because it all has to be manipulated. It has to be laid out. It has to be welded up. It has to be flipped over. It has to be welded again. Uh, there's a lot of handling uh, that goes on. I, I used to um, win bets because uh, I have a, an anvil that I use. It's 460 pounds. And uh, I would pick it up off the anvil stand and uh, get my 20 bucks every time because nobody thought I could do it. So, so it, is, it is demanding. It is heavy. It's, it's hard work. Um, so I don't go to the gym every day, but like I said, um, there's a lot of things that I wind up moving around just out of necessity, but, uh, pretty good workout. So, and since, since you've like lost that 30 pounds excess weight, um, you can probably go longer in between, you know, meals now, which would be advantageous if you're like on a job side, you don't really know when you're going to be able to, you know, get something else to eat in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like if I've got a job site, a lot of times I'll take uh, something like a Propel or water or a Mio with some water, um, some beef jerky, and then maybe uh, like mixed nuts, you know, that's lower on the sugar side of thing. or, or um, And that's it. I won't eat a big meal, um, which one saves me time, but also all these guys that go sit down at a restaurant and eat like a cheeseburger and fries and all that, they're just dragging for the next two or three hours because, you know, you eat something like that. If it's already hot and your job is hard, it makes it even harder. Yeah. So yeah, I have a lot more stamina 
uh, than I used to. And there are some days, not that it's a good thing, but I'll skip breakfast and I'll work right through lunch and I won't eat until two or three in the afternoon. And I'm fine. I'm not, I don't have really hard hunger pains. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely, it feels like your food controls you less Yeah. whenever you're sort of in that zone. And your line of work's pretty, uh, I mean, it's unconventional and it's unpredictable. So I think that'd be key. Yeah, absolutely. What, uh, I mean, one of the main things that people point out when it comes to the ketogenic diet is like the mental clarity aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, you do a lot of critical thinking. I mean, you're doing, you know, CAD drawings to make exact 3D models for all the stuff you're, you know, replicating, fabricating in the shop. I mean, have you noticed any increased mental clarity since removing the carbohydrates? Yeah, absolutely. If I'm really in that that butter zone, the ketogenic diet, where everything is clicking along and working the way it's supposed to, um, I do spend a lot of time. I deal with the client, and then I create a design. I build that in CAD. I work with architects. Um, a lot of times I'm working with the homeowner or the contractor. I'm trying to catch other people's mistakes before I go ahead and make something out of iron that's not easy to change. So, um, yeah, I definitely spend a lot of time doing uh, higher level type cognitive work. Uh, and it does help a lot. Whenever you build something, a momentary lapse in concentration and accidentally welding a support where it's not supposed to be or forging a scroll um, that doesn't match the original drawing that may only take an hour but depending on when you catch that mistake it could take you days to correct that mistake and so i've noticed less of that Mm -hmm. and i make less mistakes that later on take lots of time and money to correct so uh yeah the the mental side of it is I would probably say one of the strongest reasons for me to do it. Um, although I have to say, uh, it does feel better to have less weight. My back uh, has had a, a chance to really heal, uh, which I've had chronic back problems for 20 years, probably. Yeah, I haven't even talked to you about that. Like, you used to have like the inversion table mm-hmm. and you would hang upside down for 10 minutes, you know, every day or so. Yeah. And like, you haven't needed to do that lately well i've slowly worked into doing that again before i started the diet this is before you got there i had injured my back Mm -hmm. and it was really stiff and i hung upside down on the inversion table and i don't know exactly what happened but something slipped and whenever i tried to come back up on the inversion table it pinched a nerve so that i could not keep my legs extended uh which led to this whole i was inside uh we we have a large bathroom and so that's where this inversion table was um i had to uh kind of crumple to the floor off of the inversion table and drag myself across the floor (laughs) but i couldn't reach the doorknob and so my wife heard me and so she panicked and she opened the door straight into my head because I was that <laughs> close to the door. But, but I had to crawl to the bed uh, and I was there probably for the next six hours. And it took three or four weeks of uh, stretching and manipulating and trying to get everything back into shape in my lower back. Uh, and that really scared me. It was a big eye opener because 
if you go in for surgery, you've only got like a 50-50 shot of them actually correcting anything. Um, and with your line of work, that'd pretty much be debilitating. That's it. That's it. You're done. You're done. So that was another reason, um, you know, for me to say, okay, well, let's just do whatever. I think it surprised you that I just jumped in and started doing the diet. Yeah. Whenever I was there, sort of unannounced. But for me, I was just sort of like, well, what do I have to lose? You know? And I had also had uh, a real problem with snoring. You don't um, anymore? No. I haven't snored in almost a year, my wife said. And it, apparently it was really bad for a while. It was almost like sleep apnea. Um, huh. It would wake me up, uh, but I wouldn't know what was waking me up. And um, I guess it's the loss of the visceral body fat, or maybe it's the loss of the extra weight around my neck. But, well, uh, one thing that's like not really even talked about with the keto diet until people actually get in and start to realize it is the inflammation aspect of it. Um, like the swelling around your, your joints, your knees, your ankles. I, I think the snoring might be a result of inflammation uh, with had, nasal cavity. I've had chronic uh, nasal problems my whole life. In fact, for the longest time, I would not eat dairy because that causes sinus inflammation. But once I was on the keto diet, I found that I could eat dairy, but it didn't necessarily give me the same inflammation. And I don't know how to explain that. It's just that's that's a fact. So I didn't uh, even know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of singers won't eat dairy or dairy products at all because it produces extra mucus. That's my understanding of it. Well, yeah, I knew like they say you don't drink a glass of milk before you get on stage to speak or something, you know, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. Um, I don't drink milk anyway. I drink almond milk. Probably has a little different effect. Probably, yeah. That's (laughs) what I drink now, almond milk. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, what are we going to talk about now? Are you like relaxed? You kind of uptight still? This first podcast you've ever been on, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't even think of it as being a podcast, really. Ugh, we gotta relax. It's hot in here. It's like a little sweat box. Uh, I could turn that fan on. Vision quest. Are we gonna? <laughs> are we gonna speak to the great spirit? And then let, let me turn this fan on here. Uh, you should be used to this in that 120 degree shot. Well, I didn't say I don't sweat in there. <laughs> <laughs> like I can sit here longer than you can. I promise you. But I went to the gym this morning, and uh, they have a sauna. A dry sauna. And the, the one I've been using, Little Rock, does not have a dry sauna. So I'm really excited that this one does. Um, I've done a lot of research on saunas lately. And like, go ahead. Have you read about heat shock proteins? Yeah, that, I mean, there's just, there's just a lot of research out there. Yeah. Um, one of the things I read by Rhonda uh, Patrick, she says that if you jump in the sauna for about 20 minutes is the ideal window. Uh, like three times a week, I believe, post-training is supposed to increase your, your natural growth hormone. I mean, all kinds of good stuff. So I'm going to implement that a lot more in the coming months. Does the sauna, is there a sauna at the Springdale World's Gym? I don't think so. Yeah. But, you know, I haven't. I pretty much go to the heavyweight and I'm back. Like, I, I haven't really ventured through to see what all, apparently they have, like, dance studio and locker rooms and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, we got tanning beds too, apparently. I didn't know that either. No, I didn't know that. Hmm. All right, well, there's. I want to change course a little bit on this. So let's just get relaxed, get loose, and uh, talk candidly here. Like I said earlier, David's not, you know, a competitive athlete. 
uh, in the sense, you know, like he's not training for competition. Um, so like everything we just talked about, how the diet has affected him from a lifestyle perspective, I mean, that can be applied to, to anybody, you know, day-to-day living. Um, but I do want to talk like a, I want the theme to switch to kind of like long-term, uh, you know, just, just hustle, I guess. You know, like he's he's a master blacksmith. He's been in his craft for how many years now? Over 20. Over 20. And, you know, with like blacksmithing, you have your apprentice, you have your journeyman, then you have your master status. And I don't know. I mean, there's a lot to be said for putting in the work for the long haul, playing the long game. And I mean, that carries over into most industries. Like, I don't even know what industries would not involve that to some degree. I mean, you look at bodybuilding, natural bodybuilding, what I'm, that's my forte, you know, and like, I'm in it for the long game. You know, the first five years, you're just a novice. You don't know anything. You learn from everybody you can, and you, you know, grow day by day by day. People didn't start looking at me like I knew what I was talking about until after I'd been lifting for eight years, you know? And I don't know what the breaking point is for, you know, the blacksmithing. Um, It's probably, well, it depends. Um, There's a lot of amateur blacksmiths. Uh, and, and I don't say that in a derogatory way. It just means they have another way of paying their bills and blacksmithing is something that they love and they do as a hobby. And mm-hmm. some of those guys will do that for years and years and years and, and actually gain some notoriety for doing good work and um, take it quite far. And then there's other guys uh, that took the path that I took where they just said, I'm not going to have a regular job. This is all I'm going to do. And, uh, you can gain a little bit of, um, ground by doing it full time, obviously. Um, and that's sort of what I did. Uh, and it took me, uh, probably 10 years before I was really taken seriously by other professionals And this is before um, the leverage of social media. So the only way that other professionals knew you was by looking at other pieces of your work that had been installed. And a lot of that work wouldn't even have your name tag on it. They would have to inquire Mm -hmm. and then find out through a gallery owner or from the estate owner who did that work. So, uh, yeah, and, and a lot of my projects will take a year to complete. So, you know, you're not looking at a huge volume of work out there um, in that 10 years. So what would you say to somebody that's like, you know, looking, uh, you know, down the road, like they have an idol or something that they're wanting to reach, you know, compare themselves with, reach that certain level of, you know, accomplishment. Um, but they're like, just, just getting started. What would you say to them? It's that cliche, I think, that uh, is used way too much, but you have to enjoy that process or the journey. If you are just looking at that end goal, it'll just drive you mad. Because it, especially in things that take 10 years or 15 years, you're going to have so many setbacks and so many disappointments, so many frustrating times. I don't care how bad you want that goal. Um, if you're not enjoying at least a few things along the way, 
um, I don't see how you're going to achieve it unless you're just masochistic, <laughs> unless you enjoy <laughs> uh, defeat and misery and disappointment. Uh, in that case, I mean, high five, I guess it worked for you, but, uh, and, and I still have to work to do that, to find things that I, uh, am doing just for the sake of enjoyment. Yeah. Uh, I feel like uh, you and I have pretty similar personality types. Um, I mean, we've known each other for over 10 years. We're involved in business endeavors together. I mean, we have a pretty similar mentality and I think you and I both, we'll set a goal and then we'll reach that goal but we very seldom congratulate ourselves for reaching that goal it's just straight on to the next goal no celebration yeah it's it's like the cruelest trick in the world like as soon as you clear the bar before you even celebrate the win you raise the bar and uh if you think about it you would never work for somebody that did that to you or eventually you would you would not want to work for them mm-hmm if nothing was ever good enough, you know, but the, the weird reverse of that is that we do that to ourselves. Um, which if the way I understand it and the way the human brain works, there's sort of a dialogue going on. And so if one part of your brain is always sort of pulling the rug out from under the other part, uh, you start to not trust yourself or not believe in yourself at some level. So I think, I think rewarding yourself um, is really important. I go back and forth with like, I, this is like one of my biggest challenges, I think, um, because I can consider myself kind of like the masochist, like you were saying earlier, like I, I get a high off of just knowing that I'm doing something that nobody else would do ever, you know, like that makes me feel good in a weird way. Like drink poison. Yeah, like I mean, you know what I mean? Nobody would do that, but you don't celebrate the fact that you would drink strychnine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I yeah, see I what you're saying, that. but... But it's like, I don't know, I get a high off of being miserable. Like, miserable is my norm with some things. Like, when I'm in a prep for a competition, like, I'm miserable, and I can just enjoy that misery. And then I've, I've burned out in the past before. Like, you have to have, yeah. I don't know, like, I go back and forth. Like, sometimes I'm like, I got to find balance, got to find balance, got to find balance. And then other times I'm like, to hell with balance. You know, screw balance. It's all full tilt, you know. And I don't know. Like, I some days I'm, I'm more one way than the other. But I haven't really found a, I haven't found that balance yet. Have you? I think I'm getting closer to it. And this is my basic understanding of the balance. If you think of like the old fashioned, like balancing scales, you can balance anything, right? As long as you have the comparable amount of weight on the other side. So if you're going to push yourself to an unbelievable limit at whatever it is you're doing, you really ought to make sure that you have something that is just as important and just as much weight, if you will, on the other side of that scale. I think average people, they put just a little bit on the work side and then they put a little bit on the fun side, or maybe they do too much fun. I don't know. But I think if you're going to put a lot on the work side, then you have to not necessarily have a lot of fun, but you have to have something that means a lot to you that balances out work. And I think for me, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm married now and have two children. 
and that's helped. It's a lot of work. I mean, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, my experience with that, uh, sometimes it's exhausting, but that's the counterbalance to my work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so balance is not necessarily about doing less hard work. It's about finding something that means as much to you and has as much weight on the other side. Relationships or a bigger, higher goal, you know, whatever that is. I don't think I've found my counterbalance yet. But, like, I kind of knew that going into it, and I've tried to take steps to make sure that what it is that I'm diving full tilt into generates the exact lifestyle that I would want that way I don't have to try and counterbalance it as much. Like I want to grind on those very things, you know, and it's kind of harder to do that because it's hard for me to do that because half the time I don't know what that is until I'm halfway into doing it, you know, and that's, it's really ab- abstract, but, uh, I don't know. I probably need to find a counterbalance. I, I haven't burned out in a while though. So I feel like I'm, I'm getting better. I'm improving. I've burned out several times and it's usually by trying to make everybody happy. Yeah. Which always fails like uh, miserably. So that's a good topic. Let's dive into that a little bit more. Let's talk about making people happy. Let's talk about haters. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about haters. (laughs) Okay. So I'm sure you get your share of people. Or do they think it's a coincidence? Like you just stumbled into a gym one day and then rolled out and you're a professional bodybuilder. Yeah. People besides that, clue. you pretty much just drink uh, protein shakes. Yeah. Drink a whey protein shake post-workout and sure. do that for six months. And and you do the tank top workout, right? Yeah. Which is shoulders, biceps, and uh maybe, maybe a few triceps every once in a while. No calves. No calves. No quads. Sure. Um, I don't know who to attribute this quote to and maybe this is perfect because somebody out there will know it, it was a gentleman who was a, an artist he taught drawing um, but he said that talent is a word in the mouth of the lazy to dismiss the hard work of others and whenever I heard that it was like a bolt of lightning like it's so profound to me because one of the things I hear all the time, I don't know if you hear it, but somebody sees what I've been working on or a finished piece or a big balustrade staircase and they go, ah, you know, you're just so talented. You're just lucky. You know, you've got that talent where you can just pick something up and you can just work with it. And that I just wish I had that. And giving them the benefit of the doubt, I think they probably are trying to pay a compliment and not necessarily give themselves an excuse. But if you really unpack that, that's exactly what they're doing. What they're, yeah, they're, they're saying, well, I would probably have done everything you've done and more if I just had that little bit of magic you have, which is your talent. People are so quick to try and justify why they have not reached that level. Right. You know, Right. But introspection is hard. Yeah. It's not something that's really encouraged uh, today. And especially whenever distraction is so readily available and you can play Angry Birds or whatever, you don't have to spend time with yourself. Um, You know, why do that? That's hard, right? That's like forging a piece of metal when it's 130 degrees or doing your last set of 10 on 100 reps, you know. 
and that's where the growth happens too, right? As, as at the end, you know, whenever you're, you don't feel like doing it anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, lots, lots and lots of haters. Um, one of the things that used to really get to me when I first started was, uh, I would finish something and just like anybody that's obsessive, I can tell you everything that's wrong with it. I'm very hard on myself, but inevitably there'd be somebody that would sort of walk up and look at it and say, ah, yeah, well, what you should have done was, and then they proceed to tell me how they would have done it so much better. And I used to take that really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, because you're vulnerable. That that's the thing. Whenever you make something physical, whether it's a sculpture or if it's just you know uh, some sort of handrail for a big house or something like that, you're putting that out there, and you cannot stand beside that thing and explain why you did it that way for the next thirty years. Like you can't. You, you see what I'm saying? Like it's there in perpetuity. Right. Right. For people to pick apart, even your competition that are just haters. They're just going to, you know what I mean? Like you can't explain to them, look, I did this in three weeks instead of four months. Mm -hmm. I delivered it on time under budget. I was running a fever. (laughs) Like I had the flu that week. Like and everybody else loves it. Right. But there's always something that, you know, could have been better. And sometimes somebody else will, will pick at that thing or maybe they don't even see that. And they're looking at something else. Um, that really used to get to me. And now I just, uh, I think I'm over it a little bit and I just, I see it for what it is, which is somebody justifying to themselves why they're a groundskeeper in an apartment building and they're not actually building things for a living. And, And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, if that is what you're doing in life, going after somebody who sort of followed their dream and fought for it for 20 years, that's not a good use of your time. <laughs> like find your passion and work on that. Don't try and just tear into somebody else, you know? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I, know, I feel like if you're complaining about your situation in life, your current circumstances, your status, then I mean, I don't know. Like if, if, if you're like the groundskeeper, at an apartment complex, but you're happy as can be, you're not complaining, more power to you, I'm happy for you. But if you're not happy, if you are complaining, change it. Change it. You can't just sit there and make excuses or shower others, you know, with negativity. And that's one thing that frustrates me to no end is, like, I'll be working on something, I'll be building on something that hadn't even taken shape or form yet. Like, it's not near where I want it to go. And somebody will come and try and rain on my parade. Oh, yeah. And it's like, hey, man, I'm following my passion I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm working hard to get there. If you're not doing the same thing on your own level, then I don't have time for you. But they're not. Otherwise, they wouldn't have time to yeah, exactly. To analyze what you haven't even finished yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And pe- people spend so much time watch. I don't know how people have the time in a day to, you know, internet troll and just be like, negative comments on people's stuff like what how do you have time to do that you know well it's simple they're not working on their passion yeah they're not i mean you see what i'm saying like they've got tons of time you know what i mean like it 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 would only take you like three or four minutes to read some post and to troll that person and get inside their head and 
then I'm on to the next thing to troll. Like I've just planted that there. It's going to grow in that other person's mind. Yeah. And it'll run through their mind like over and over, <laughs> you know, for the next three or four weeks. I mean, it truly is. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's, it's one of the ugly sides of, uh, of the internet, you know, that, that some people do that. But I do think that we're getting to a place where we can sort of regulate those people. I think that's going to start happening. Uh, whether there's some sort of universal identity online or, uh, if people just band together and kick someone out, you know, just for being like that. And I, I've learned to use it. Like I, I can't get emotional about it. Like I'll use that. Like that just yeah. adds fuel to the fire for me. You know, yeah. if somebody wants to, you know, talk down to me, I'll just put that in the, in the toolkit. And that's just, that's just gasoline, man. I, I had a friend of mine that, uh, published a book, uh, a history book, uh, in, in another country actually. And one of the comments on their book reviews was by a fellow academic that said that this book is unpublishable. <laughs> and it absolutely crushed him, like absolutely crushed him. But instead of uh, letting that defeat him, he turned around and he signed up for a contract to write three other books in four years. So this guy is like, almost 40, but he's already written four published academic books in his field. He used that as fuel to just absolutely trash this other guy. And the, the guy that trolled him hasn't written a single book. And it yeah. turns out the reason that he trashed that first book is because he wanted to write a book about that subject. Uh, but because he had already written the book, then the publisher wasn't going to give this guy the contract to write it. So he thought... Well, I'll just uh, ruin him. It is crazy. Like, if you look at the trolls, if you look at the haters, if you look at the negativity and where it's coming from, and you follow that back to that person, you see what they're doing in life, they're never the ones that are successful. They're never the ones that are on top. People that are on top don't have time to talk people down. That's exactly right. Yeah. And kind of talking about, you know, earlier we we mentioned, uh, you know, finding balance, finding happiness, all that jazz. Like, I've been significantly happier since I've grown confident enough in myself that I really just don't care about what anybody else has to say about me if it's negative, you know? Like, I'll take constructive criticism all day long. I'm very open-minded to anything that I can do to be better. But if somebody's going to try and tear me down just for the sake of tearing me down, I don't have time. I put up a wall immediately. Like, I don't have time for them, you know? And that that's taken me years to, to develop. Because, I mean, I don't know, until you have your thing, your passion, your, your bread and butter, your your thing that you're building, creating, it's hard to have that solid foundation to stand on with confidence. So you're much more likely to let that negativity in. Um, I don't know. But I mean, blacksmithing to you is probably the same as Keto Savages to me. Like it's given me that foundation to lean against. Yeah, I I think think as you uh, get more experiences under your belt, uh, you become more confident in your abilities, not necessarily more confident in yourself as a person, but mm-hmm. just, you know, physically I can produce X yeah, and I can do it at a level that, you know, I can compare myself to not just other people in my state or in my region or in the nation, but other people in the world. Then, um, that brings, I don't even know if you call it confidence. I would say maybe a little bit of peace. 
Yeah. Because I think everybody struggles to justify to themselves that they're okay. Valued. Right. Yeah. Right. And so the more sort of things that you have that you can point to, I think the more you relax. I think that's why older people don't care. (laughs) Like, you know, you you think of that old guy that's uh, been around and done a hundred things. Like he just does not care if he's wearing those black socks with sandals. You know, <laughs> I mean, seriously, they, they stop. I, I caught myself the other day, like wearing something that I never would have worn in college. But you know what? I'm married. I got two two kids. It's yeah. comfortable. Um, but you know what? I pulled it off because I, I didn't care. <laughs> like I wasn't self-conscious about it, you know? Yeah. And see, if you don't care, I mean, it's like a shield like no other like if you honestly don't care then people can say whatever they want but i mean it's not gonna get through to you right you know that's just that's that's key right there that's key um what are we talking about now let's talk about long game you know putting in the incremental work day in day out putting your head down and grinding i mean you're 38 you said yeah 38 david's 38 years old and he's about to start a YouTube channel yeah, to grow his blacksmithing business. That's a ballsy move, in my opinion. You know, you're, you're kind of at the generation where that wasn't really a thing when you were building your business. Witchcraft. 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 Yeah, it was witchcraft, you know. And now it is obviously a thing. It is. And you're trying to jump in as a late bloomer. <laughs> but, I mean, look at it for what it is. You either start now... And you build that steadily over time, or you just say, "Oh, it's too late." And then, I mean, you're 38. That's pretty. That's pretty young in the grand scheme of life. Well, uh, yeah, but it's like what we were talking about yesterday. If you could snap your fingers and do anything, uh, you would have started a YouTube channel five years ago. So would I. Yeah. But that's the funny thing about human psychology. They could tell you exactly what they wish they had started five years ago. But they have a really hard time making the transition of what should I do tomorrow? Today. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And so And that holds true with everything. Yeah, everything. You know, like I should have started a savings account five years ago. Right. I should have started working out five years ago. And people will try and say, Oh, it's it's too late and they'll just keep living their mediocre, you know, substandard life. Start today so that five years from now you can be glad you did. I uh there there's a relatively popular television show right now forged in fire which a lot of people watch and it's where they put these knife makers together and they give them material and they have to forge a blade in like a few hours and they test it and that sort of worked its way into the zeitgeist like a lot of people are watching that and they're aware of blacksmithing and so they ask me well do you do stuff like that and then of course i explain knives aren't necessarily uh, the core of what I do. I work on larger projects, but everybody watches that and then they're dead sure that they want to come to your shop like next weekend and work, you know, but they never show up. I Not once have I ever turned anybody down to come to my shop. I've had 50 people probably in the last 20 years say, hey, you know, I'd really love to come to your shop. Absolutely. Whenever. Let me know. You just let me know. Give me a call. Make sure I'm there. But I'm there almost every day. You're welcome anytime. Like, they never show up. Because it always sounds good right after you've seen that exciting show or whatever. But when Saturday rolls around uh, and it's hot 
or do you think, or I could just go ahead and watch this marathon of whatever is on television, you know, one week slips yeah. into two weeks and then a few months and then they just think, ah, well. And they're just back to normal. Yep. Back to what they know, what they're comfortable with. Right. So, I mean, when I started, I didn't have any equipment. I didn't learn from my father. My father is not necessarily mechanically inclined. He's a very smart man, uh, and he's good at what he does. But uh, I didn't have anything given to me. I didn't have a shop to work in. I didn't have anything. I used to wake up at 4 a.m. on Saturday mornings and drive three hours to the Ozark Folk Center and uh, spent a few months just trying to get the old guys to talk to me. This was before YouTube. You couldn't watch a channel and just see how to forge something. You had to go befriend people that knew how to do it, make them like you enough to actually show you a few things, and then do all the dirty work so that you could get a little bit of time on the forge to practice. And I did that uh, every weekend for almost a year while I was going to college. And it wasn't easy. No, I was I was driving a ragtop Jeep with no AC, and I was doing that, waking up at 4 a.m. when everybody else was sleeping because they had spent the night partying, you know, Friday night. I was waking up at 4 and driving there and shoveling coal <laughs> to, and then sifting it all out, carrying it up to the forge. I mean, you know, it sounds like one of those old when I was your age stories, but it really was hard. I mean, you had to go find people. Uh, to teach you. And even then they wouldn't necessarily be forthcoming yeah. with the information. And that's how I started, you know? So I, I love the, you know, very beginning story. Cause like that very beginning, that first year, that is what illustrates whether or not you've got the discipline when you have nothing handed to you, you don't have any connections, you don't have any resources. If you still find a way to make it work and push through that first year, then there's hope for you for the long term. And, and also, I think in the first year, you don't really have anything to show for it. Like, after that first year, there were a few things I knew how to forge, but I didn't know how to forge them well. Yeah. And so, like, I had to be careful who I even showed that to because they could just completely tear it apart and tell me it looked awful. You know? I mean, it was like... But to me, it was a huge accomplishment, but I was self-aware enough to know that it was actually not that good. So, I'd have yeah. to be careful who I showed it to. It's so. kind of, I mean... And that's how it is. Like my first year working out was in my dad's shop with pieces of steel he had laying around. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. and I—I I mean, I knew I wasn't big. I was scrawny, but I was impressed at what improvement incremental it was. I had seen, and I thought of the potential that I could have. You know, consistently. I remember because. I went into your shop and uh, you were wanting to drill a hole through that laminated beam, but your dad didn't want you to, so you wound up doing a strap over oh, it. Oh, yeah, for the pull bar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. And I used a conduit yeah. to yeah. strap it in there. I totally remember that. Yeah, I mean, my, my first bench was an ice chest with a towel over it. You I know? think I remember that. Were you using that whenever I was there? Yeah, I had the, the green ice chest as my bench. Yeah. And uh, I had... Like 60 pounds of weights with the screw on weights, you know. Uh, I bought one of those, on. yeah, yeah. You spin them on, you have to like readjust for everything. Yeah. And I would go out there and I'd work out. I had like this old stereo and you were I was playing living. rap music on it. I remember that because it used to make your dad so mad whenever you'd play. Yeah, my dad would get <laughs> mad. And I was living at the house at the time and like I'd try and time my workouts, you know, around all my meals and everything. 
And if it was dinner time, they'd make me stop my workout mid mid session to come in there and eat, and I'd have to go back. I mean, it was just totally unoptimum situation, yeah. you know. Just as yours, you have to drive three hours to the Ozark Folk Center to talk to somebody. I mean, that's what you want, though. Like that challenging, difficult time when you can look back and be proud of that. Be proud that you pushed through. That's what keeps the fire lit to keep pushing through, you know. And people that have it handed to them, they're just not going to get it. No, like, yeah, that's just it. That's that's exactly it. So it's, it's the struggle, right? Like, there, there's a lot of evidence to back up the fact that uh, the more you have to struggle to gain information, the more likely you are to retain it. Yeah, and that's what you were saying earlier. You got to learn to love that struggle. You right. got to learn to enjoy the climb, and you can't just you know think short-sightedly about the end result because then you'll fail i mean you'll crash and burn yeah there's no goal strong enough or big enough that will let you make it 10 years yeah i mean maybe there is but i'm just saying you know when you listen to those interviews of guys that made it through like prison camps uh you know in vietnam and world war ii and and they're just like yeah the 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 optimists, they died after the first couple of years. You know, the guys that were more like stoics that were just like, well, this is what it is. This is my experiment. This is my laboratory. I'm going to monitor how things happen and, and learn from them and just live every day as though this is what I need to do. This is, you know, these are the things I'm trying to determine. Uh, they're the ones that made it. You know, so, and it, not to get too much into like your own philosophy, philosophy in life, but um, basically, you have to break it down into small increments. If you just have the goal of being a professional bodybuilder, uh, you're not going to rocket right to that. Yeah. And the same with being a, a craftsman that works, you know. In, in different countries and travels around and things like that. Like, that's not going to happen overnight. It's just not. You have to literally break it down day by day by day and sometimes hour by hour, you know. Like, when I'm in my most depleted state in the month before competition, I'm just trying to make it 30 minutes in the next 30 minutes. And same with you, you know, working crunch time on a project, 120 degrees I yeah. mean do do yesterday and just make it a day by day by day because you could do anything like if you break it down to that small I mean you could do anything for 30 minutes yeah. you can do anything for 30 minutes and you make it through that and you're like alright I can do anything for this next 30 minutes but if you look at it you know I've got to do this for 10 years every single day you'll get depressed and you'll quit yeah there's a long line of people that have quit working for me you know, because uh, it wasn't happening fast enough for them. You know, uh, but I think I think what they thought was they were going to jump in, and within a year or two, they were going to be at my level. But they never stopped to ask themselves, "How long did it take Dave to get to this level?" You know, and and I don't necessarily do thirty minutes. I do two hours at a time. That's basically my blocks. Yeah. If I can just do two hours, you know, two hours from when I start is my first coffee break. 
And then after my coffee break, two hours, and then I get lunch. Mm. And then after lunch, I get another coffee break after two hours, and then another two hours. It's it's uh, grease time where you start putting everything up and you start cleaning and you start packing things away. So I just do it those two-hour blocks. That's how it works for me. And you wake up excited to do it again the next day, right? Not always excited, but determined. Yeah. You know, if you've got to get into a fight, what is it they tell you? Don't think about what that guy's going to do to you. Think about what you're going to do to that guy. And so there's a lot of mornings when I wake up and that's my mindset is what I'm going to do to that guy. And at least he's going to know he's been in a fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. There's a, it's kind of like, you know, compounding interest over time. If you approach each day, break it up into two-hour increments, and make the next two hours better than the last two hours, make today better than yesterday, make this month better than last month, there's not going to be a huge change in the first six months. But if you compare that with somebody who's doing the minimum and you graph that change over time, starting at the same point, those oh, yeah. those mirror each other pretty pretty evenly. But you know, over time that compounding interest curve it just shoots way up and that gap widens and widens. I'd say that's a very good analogy for, for how it works. Especially in things where you have to put in a lot of effort uh, before you see results. You know? Yeah. I could not agree more. How was your coffee? That's good. It was good. You finished it already? Not quite. I needed to make more coffee. Do you even drink yours? Yeah, I drank mine in the first like five minutes of this thing. I drank coffee pretty quickly. <sighs> it's a talent. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, we've been going for 54 minutes and two seconds. That's a pretty good little while. How long is your normal podcast? Mm, usually about an hour. So we can talk for six more minutes. <laughs> Just going to read a page out of the phone book. Yeah. <laughs> what would be, a, I don't know, you're 38. What, what would you tell, I think I asked you this last night, but what would you tell your... 28 year old self so 10 years prior oh find find a particular thing fabrication and blacksmithing sort of two sides to a discipline uh but that's that's a very broad uh field you need to narrow that down and pick one thing and just absolutely master it and that's how you'll uh make a living and make a name for yourself. That's the fastest way. I took a very uh, broad approach and did a lot of different projects, which I cannot say was bad because it gave me a huge uh, portfolio and a big range of work that I could um, point to and also a lot of experience. So um, it's not that often that I get painted into a corner and I'm not sure where to go from here. Because I've got a lot of uh, things to look back on. I've worked with a lot of different materials, a lot of different uh, sub-trades. So I'm definitely taking a long-term approach in that I started so broad. But if I wanted to shorten my learning curve, then concentrate on one thing and master it. Whether it's blades or making a particular type of forged item, 
uh, or a particular type of fabricated item. Ideally, you would want that super niche item to be your passion, right? Yes. How does one go about finding their passion if they don't know it already? I think um, there are certain things that whenever you do them, it just... I, I don't know if you would compare it to an electric feeling or a um, sort of a buzz that you get or a hum where you just think, man, this is just th the coolest thing I've ever done. Like you feel almost euphoric mm -hmm. while you're doing it and while you're um, in the whole experience. I think that's a really good indicator of what your passion can be. There are lots of things that can hold your interest for a short period of time, um, but I would start with those things, you know, where you just think, oh, I would do this if nobody paid me. You yeah. know, that's uh, pretty cliche, but uh, that's a good indicator. Now, some things don't have that much depth, so you can only take them so far and that's it. If you really... Other things, you can really dive into the nuance and uh, you can do it for a lifetime, you know, so... If you don't know what that is, you just got to get out there, put yourself out there and fail. It, well, it's like what I was telling you. The reason so many people don't do custom work is because custom work, you're not working from a blueprint. Mm. Even if you had a blueprint, that blueprint's going to be out the window in the first 10 minutes. Then the, the first time the client decides they want a different kind of hardware or the architect decides they want a different mm -hmm. offset for this or that. So doing custom work the closest thing that i can compare it to is getting dressed in the dark if you have all your clothes laid out um you can stand there in the dark and stare in, into darkness and wonder if your shirt is facing you or facing away from you like when you put it on is it going to be backwards or is it going to be forwards you can drive yourself crazy like if it's a t-shirt right or you could just put the thing on and you got a 50 50 shot of getting it right or if it's on backwards, then you know what you got to do, right? You got to turn the shirt around. And so there are some people that I've worked with or that have worked for me in the past, their approach would be, okay, I'm going to stand here in the darkness and just wait for some sort of sign of how I should pick this shirt up and put it on. Yeah. You know? And my approach is just put it on. Just get it over your head, get in it, and figure it out from there. And so, again, it just comes – you've got to leap. You've got to get into it. It's funny how everything that we've talked about, every topic, it's all symbiotic. You know, it all shares a relationship. Like, fear of failure is paralyzing, you know. It causes people not to move forward. They'll not find their passion because they're afraid they're going to mess up. You know, but if you're confident in yourself, then you're okay with messing up because it's just part of the process. You document that process. Yeah. You know. You document the process day in, day out for the long haul, the long game. You're not going to be there from point A to point Z overnight. You know, it's all it's all a process. It's all a symbiotic relationship. Finding your passion, having the confidence. I mean, everything. You just got to put yourself out there in life. You know, and I feel like so many people don't. They're just waiting for the stars to line, waiting for something to happen to them to be discovered. Yeah, to be. Dis I mean, you're all the luck that I've incurred over the past year and a half with Keto Savage has been a result of me putting myself out there. I mean, there's no such thing as luck. Like, the luck you get is just a result of putting yourself out there. When you put yourself out there, you make mistakes, you make, you know, successes, 
you put yourself out there, you meet people, you network, you grow, you build something, you create, you document. That's when things start happening. That's when you get lucky after all that work. And that's cliche too. It's funny how all these cliches are... They're there for a reason. Exactly. Though. It's because it sums it up perfectly and it's easy to whip that out and be like, oh, it's like this, you know, which I... I'm not positive about this, but I heard that the the etymology of cliche goes back to typesetting, whenever they would put certain letters together to form a short word, like at, the, then, that. What they would do is instead of having to spell that out every time, they would just have a block that was that word. And so they would take it and put it into the machine. And cliche was, um, what is that? Um it's the term for a word that you use that actually mimics a sound, and it's the sound of the machine. Onomatopoeia? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How in the world I, I remember that? <laughs> I don't know. That's a savant moment right there. Um, but cliche is the sound of that machine pushing that against the, the typeset, uh, which is this prepackaged thing that you just put it in there, bam, it fits, you know? So um, all of those things are there for a reason. Um I need to get like a book of cliches and, and study that thing. Hang in there. You need that cat poster where it's hanging on a tree branch. <laughs> <laughs> Hang in there. <laughs> I like that. Uh, but yeah. It, it, well, here's here's the crazy part, right? Why is it that every time somebody starts talking about success, they use all of these cliches? You tell me. Because, I mean, that's just the reality. Because they're saying the same thing over and over. It's yeah. just most people don't want to hear that it's hard work. They want they want the uh, Magic sugar beans. pill, yeah. You know, yeah. Same th- I mean, and that's a cliche. I mean, everything, everybody wants to just skyrocket. They want the shortcut. They want the super supplement. They jump on the steroids. Uh, you know, they want, people ask me so much about, I get so many questions about supplements. You know, supp- what supplements? What supplements do I take? There's no supplement. You just put in the work, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's everything is just additive, but the result is simply a, a byproduct of, you know, the day-to-day, you know, working towards your task, working towards your goal, and putting in the work. There is no shortcuts. And as soon as you realize that and accept that as fact, the sooner you can get to work and succeed but if you're fighting that as an idea and looking for that short term gain you're already doomed it got really dark right there (laughs) (laughs) my advice would be put the shirt on just put the shirt on you got a 50-50 chance of it being right if it's wrong then fix it Unless you're keto and you have killer abs and you leave that shirt off. (laughs) (laughs) Just own it. Uh, Well, we're at a minute or an hour, three minutes right now. That's probably a good cutting point. Nailed it. All right, David. Always a pleasure, man. Let's go get another cup of coffee. Sounds good to me. All right. Wait, wait, wait. real, Real quick. Where can people go to find out more about you? Uh, that would be fireandiron.net. I designed that website, by the way. Quick plug. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Uh, Instagram is uh, fireandironllc. Is that right? 
Yes. I think it is. Yeah. And I want everybody listening to go to Fire and Iron LLC. And if he doesn't have a YouTube video up within the month. That's cold. They, they need to just like hate on him. Hate him. Make the haters <laughs> stop it. Hate on him. <laughs> Uh, there will be a video up uh, within the month. And like I said, this is going to be um, just like how I started, which is, uh, you know, working hard and not necessarily seeing the payoff and doing it because uh, you find something in the journey that you like. So, yep, it'll be good. It will be good. I'm excited for you. I'm excited about a lot of things right now. Most of that cup of coffee. Yeah, actually, that was good. All right, we're signing out. David Frazier, Robert Sykes. We'll catch you next time.